even know you're on a podcast yeah. <laughs> um, yeah I mean is it a podcast what is, is a podcast oh god I don't know like, are we getting sort of existential off, off I mean it's worth doing like yeah. we could do it now like up front okay so that so a podcast I would say is like um, I guess like talking into a microphone okay putting that online and some sort of like feed uh, that's available kind of, that's to very, listen to that's very much a Webster's Dictionary defines podcasts as kind yeah, of yeah yeah I think like, you know I'm just trying to think of it a little bit like yeah it's like the opening of a wedding speech for some podcasters or something yeah exactly <laughs> oh we should uh, get like infiltrated in the like podcast society <laughs> and like meet all the weird fedora wearing waistcoat fedora wearing podcast yes, the pocket watch guys I did actually go to a podcasting um, workshop once and it was so fucking weird oh <laughs> really I'll tell this on mic I guess um, <laughs> Basically, uh, everyone there was um, wanted to do like uh, this American lifestyle like, kind of podcast, where right, they, like, like sort of crimey kind of more mis- like interviewing, like, finding an interesting person and interviewing. Right, right, right. And um, this one guy, and they all thought it was like really weird that I wanted to do a film podcast. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, there are a lot of film podcasts yeah, yeah, out there yeah. that are very popular. Um, and uh, this one guy, at the, like who was doing it, mm. was like, um, I just want to do a show that investigates the darkest recesses of your mind oh, I was fun. like fuck yeah, me yeah. he literally looked like a skull with a ginger beer attached <laughs> and um, uh, he just kept asking like really weird questions like what do you want to do if you want to uh, interview someone about trauma Jesus. I really want to ask people about their worst traumas and I was like don't let this these, guy do that these are just the kind of things where it's like people like have these sort of conceptual ideas that they think sound great on paper where they're just like oh it's going to be sort of esoteric and conceptual and like yeah. we're going to really explore like uh, the, the hidden psyche that no one shows to like the, yeah, the, yeah. the it's like you're never going to get anyone to chat about that shit <laughs> like, well we as part of this po- this this workshop we had to make like a five minute okay. um, podcast yeah. interviewing each other yeah. and he his, he'd interviewed this girl who was next to him and he'd like made her talk about how her dad left when she was four oh and God. stuff and he like edited it so there was this like boards of Canada track or something underneath <laughs> and it was like really ominous and I was like this is you're a dick like and everyone was like wow that's so powerful this is like I was like uh, no he's like I forced the girl that he's yeah. just met I haven't actually Fucking... watched it but like it just makes you think of like is it the new Halloween film it's like the yeah, like yeah. the main assholes in that are two po- like uh, really true a... crime podcasters my, my girlfriend hates horror movies I yeah. literally had to like kind of drag her in, <laughs> to and, go in see Halloween. and in the first scene she's like looking really uncomfortable like doesn't want to be there and then they're like yeah we're doing it for our podcast she just like lit up she's like oh okay (laughs) and I'm I'm assuming like the podcast is die a gruesome death at some point of course yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's great spoilers for anyone who's not seen Halloween (laughs) yeah (laughs) Michael Myers does kill people oh wow Um, so uh, we're we're talking I mean I'm here with Reese I might as well introduce you now yeah go for it yeah well, I'm here with Reese. Who, who are you? Hey, I'm Reese Handley. I am a film critic and general kind of sap that writes for uh, One Room with the View and Vague Visages and a few others where you might see my uh, name that no one can ever spell right on the first go. Um, I thought you were Reese Hadley until like maybe five This minutes. is true, but it's usually like, it's not usually the surname people get wrong, it's usually the first name. Oh, get right. a lot of interesting emails at the day job. Oh yeah, like, right. Uh, well, it's like even, I, I have this one lady who insists that the Y comes before the H in my name when it really, really doesn't. 
Um, and no matter how many times I like change the color or the font or underline it in my <laughs> yeah. email signature, like she just continues to respond to it. Maybe you should put it in wingdings and then she'd Maybe. understand. She'd be like, oh, right. I always wonder if it's like a power play thing. Like people being like, you've got a weird name. I can like yeah. show you how, how little I care about spelling it right. I feel like that is a thing that people do, right? People purposely like pretend they don't know who's spelling it. It's that whole thing with like, uh, what's it like? If, if you, if say if, like uh, the person you're with, like your girlfriend's got a really hot dude friend and like you go up to him yeah. and, and she's like, oh, this this guy's called this is my friend Paul and you go like oh what was it Peter and you'll be like no it's Paul and you're yeah, like yeah. whatever cool Peter yeah and you're just like yeah sure yeah, yeah. and it's like yeah it's sort of like a really like sort of yeah insecure way to assert your dominance kind of Absolutely. thing yeah. yeah and we love insecurity here on, do. Uh, on Judge Movie um, <laughs> we're here in uh, that, that was my segue nice uh we're here. Uh, we're back in the the Grand Palace. Uh, it's a it's a theatre that they've uh, opera house. It's an opera yeah, house. Yeah. They turned into a into a cinema uh, for the Berlinale Film Festival 2019. Um, it's um, the biggest festival in the world in terms of like um, tickets sold and the number of people. So it's the uh, it's the Clapham Junction of it's the Clapham busy, Junction uh, busy film festival. There is a sort of Clapham Junction vibe I'm getting. Oh no! Wait, no, no. This would be this would be the Waterloo one because if it's the most footfall, then that's Waterloo. Uh, right. This is not a yeah. podcast about trains. This is a podcast about <laughs> judging movies. We'll, we'll start one of those. Don't worry. That, <laughs> yeah, that one's coming soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sidebar. It's in the, the sister network, Judge <laughs> Trains. Um, so, um, yeah, we're here. We've, we've been watching loads of films. And uh, so just thought we'd like check in yeah. and talk about some interesting stuff that we've seen. Um, what's, what's stuck out to you? Oh, right. So what, one of my favourites? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, why, not? why not? Okay. Um, so uh, one that's like really stuck out for me, and you you know you've spent a lot of this special with me, not shutting up about it since I saw it a couple of days ago. Is this Chinese film uh, by a lady who is called uh, Zhang Zi, uh, and it's called A Dog Barking at the Moon, and it's sort of this sort of kitchen sink hyper realist like family drama um it's about her sort of real family situation back in china where like her dad um was sort of discovered to be having affairs with men by her mom like when she was a little child but the parents stayed together because you know being a homosexual is not a cool thing to do in, in china um and also you know you're all tied up with like these preconceptions of like dishonor and like uh, and what it means to actually get divorced and that kind of thing um, and obviously that's just sort of like festered and so the the main thrust of the film happens in the present day um with like the character who is the surrogate for the director sort of coming back home after she's moved to america and married like a western guy um and she comes back pregnant uh, just to like be around her family while like in the run-up to giving birth kind of thing and the whole thing's just gone sort of toxic and manic and uh, the mum is sort of considering joining this weird like divergent buddhist cult that's definitely like one of the more insidious cults out there <laughs> um and apparently and this is all like it's very lightly sort of fiction fictionalized and it's like a dramatized version but it is it sounds like it's sort of very true to life from what i understand from from the director um and she did the whole thing she was directing she was shooting while she was uh, four months pregnant she um she was editing maybe two or three days after um, after giving birth. She was like breastfeeding while she was syncing dialogue and stuff like that. Um, and just getting the whole thing shot because they filmed for about two weeks, maybe a bit more in Beijing. Um, and to do so, they needed like permission off the Chinese government. Um, and so you have to submit like a um, like a synopsis of your plot to like their culture bureau. Uh, so that they can be like, yes, these themes are acceptable. We are happy with this portrayal of China. And one of the the big red lines that they have is sort of gay characters and gay themes and that kind of thing. Like they don't 
want that kind of stuff being made. Um, and so she sort of fudged the synopsis to reference her dad's lovers rather than her dad's boyfriends um, and sort of like then went off and like shot this this whole film in like open defiance of, of the Chinese government. Um, and on top of that whole context, it is the, just the sheer like craft of it, like the artistry that has gone into it. Like it, it, it sort of slides back and forth between sort of past and present, uh, like sort of spanning decades to really understand these characters. It's so empathetic. Some of the imagery is like, it's always like very sort of measured and classy in how it puts these things together and um and very sort of evocative and every absolutely everything is in service of like the the more sort of like general coherent purpose of the film and it is i've, I've seen a lot of things that i've loved um at this festival to be fair but this was the only one where it got to the end and i literally felt compelled to jump out of my seat and just <laughs> give it like a rapturous applause like and i think I, it was a public screening and i don't think they were used to doing that so i was just like this weirdo in like the back row just like yeah. sort of clapping you were like, like a maniac. Charles Foster Kane, right? yeah, 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 yeah 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 absolutely absolutely um but yeah i just absolutely went nuts for it and that is quite probably my number one of the festival and i just really hope someone who distributes to the uk and the west has clocked it so do you is, think it has the kind of uh, potential to be like in the uk i think yeah and not even on i could see it like getting like a small art house run at like yeah. like a free like a curzon or something okay like that. um because it, it just sort of like it puts me in mind to like you know like sort of crossover chinese films like something like in the mood for love or something like that okay like i feel like it's, it's obviously dealing that's with pretty like, high that's yeah, pretty yeah, high yeah. well i i like i would probably say it's like she shows the promise to like be hitting those kind of levels as okay. well like especially if she continues to develop as an artist yeah. um but um, but i was just like yeah i feel like it's got that kind of crossover because it is sort of like it's ever so lightly westernized by her perspective as like a chinese woman who lives in spain now and like the the main character is a chinese woman who lives in new york and that kind of thing right. so it has this kind of like cynical eye on Chinese tradition and that kind of thing it's obviously very sort of reverential and very sort of respectful and very empathetic to its characters that live in China and will always live in China and that yeah. kind of thing but it does have this sort of like more analytical eye where you're not getting like the bad taste of like oh Xi, Xi Jinping um, approves this message kind of thing Yeah, right. um, and it does just have like um, like just the level of cinematic craft in it is something that like movie nerds are going to be like sort of like jumping up and down about it. it was i thought it was a real shame that it didn't get a press screening and like, i had to go to a public one because like that means there'll be an awful lot of critics that just like kind of yeah. bother and it's not going to get the airtime um but yeah I'm, I'm hoping that like me and maybe anyone else who caught it who can shout about it will give it enough of like a push i feel like china's been quite a dominant presence at the festival in the, you know especially um made the news because zhang Amu's film about the cultural revolution got uh pulled from competition at the last second. minute one yeah, second yeah, yeah. um and uh, so that's, that's been quite controversial apparently it's like not got through the censors um, there's also been films like So Long My Son that's probably gonna well people are touting that to win the Golden Bear by the time this is released we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. know what actually won which I, I congratulations thought, or commiseration yeah <laughs> it I mean what happened. that really that was the best competition film that I saw by, yeah. a, long, by a long way yeah. um, that's this kind of three hour long um, I guess family saga over about 40 years that goes back and forward through time it's quite episodic it's, it's all uh, centers around the um, yeah. death of a of a, uh, of a child, and um, it's 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 so episodic that it kind of each each piece stands by itself, but mm. slowly kind of informs the other moments. And, and it and you said the payoffs in the back end as well. The payoff is totally in the back. Like for the first two hours, I'm watching it going like you know this is this is obviously brilliant craft and really great acting, but um, is it really kind of justifying its length and and mm. the scope? But like. 
the payoffs keep coming in that last hour to this sort of Corriader kind of <laughs> way of like just piling like the accumulation yeah of, of, yeah and, and, and it uses this structure really well in that case because there'll be a massive bombshell and you're like oh my god this is like informed everything that we've known and then it will go to a flashback <laughs> that uh, you know undercuts yeah, that yeah, and you're yeah. like it's so skillful in that regard the wow. editing was like really really solid um, that's that's worth checking I don't know what kind of release that's going to get either mm. you know maybe if it wins the bear if it, if it, it wins it might get a bit of a push yeah it could turn up at like a, another festival somewhere but, and that kind of thing. yeah it, it'll definitely do the festival but you know it's a it's a miserable mm. very long yeah see this is like difficult uh, what's it dog barking at the moon is sub two hours which is always quite nice absolutely yeah. um and uh, and yeah it, it it just sort of it plays probably a bit hues a bit closer to like mainstream sensibilities and that like it has a clear beginning middle end and then has sort of like the vague like the vague kind of structurelessness that you that like tends to happen with like with more eastern cinema and that kind of thing yeah but, um but yeah i think i think I think it honestly has crossover appeal, and I, I really hope that like I get a chance to see so long my son as well. To be fair, because uh, you've been sitting in its praises since since you managed to get a, a sit down with it. So yeah, that that is really great, and and there's there's been other ones as well. I mean, we've had we've, we've not, seen the shadow play. <laughs> we've uh, not we've not had the most consistent relationship with China at this festival. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, I think the shadow play has its pleasures. That's a kind of cop um, drama, mm. I guess. It's going for this kind of Michael Mann heat. It's very thing, sort of like corruption really, goes all the way to the top kind of it is yeah um, <laughs> I mean to talk about the scene do you want to talk about the the, 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 the knife the, the scissors the scissor scene the scissoring talk about the scissoring scene. yeah oh my god uh, so yeah this film we had we, to be fair we had a we had a rollicking good time with I, yeah there were points where we probably both kind of drifted away I was going to say I did you, had a, you had a solid nap but like didn't miss a single <laughs> beat the whole time um, and this film is just absolutely sort of it goes from being possibly one of the dirgiest most boring things I've ever seen to then immediately changing gear into being one of the most preposterous and imaginative at the same time <laughs> and there's this whole scene between two characters who are uh, so, so like the whole they don't really know each other. They kind, or... they're like they're kind of like related because they're both women who are having affairs with the same men. Yes. Um, and in this film, everyone is like a horny teenager. Like everyone is just jumping yeah, into yeah. bed this with each other. Horny, horny movie, and yeah. that is, and that is always sort of like the thrust of the plot. Like it's meant to be about like political and financial corruption, but really it's everyone shagging. Um, but it's, two... it's not kind of making like a point of that either. No. It's just, it's, it's just, just kind of incidental. Yeah, everything's yeah. just there. Um, but th th this scene comes fairly late in the game. I'd say it's within the last like forty-five minutes or something, Maybe. Uh, something like that. Um, and it's these two women in a, in a car. Uh, they're both they're both sort of like they've both sort of like come to an understanding that they know who's doing what and who's like blackmailing who and all this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the one in the passenger seat. Um, so, I can't remember how it like triggers, but she just flips a lid at some yeah. point, uh, and she grabs the wheel of the car uh, from from the driver, and just sort of like starts yanking it and screaming things like, "We're going to hell together! <laughs> if I'm going to die, you're going to die!" And this goes on for a good like minute, two minutes, yeah, and the a, car is just like still on the road. It's just, it's just like kind of like it's it, because the, the car's not like speeding or anything; it's just kind of trudging along and like sort of yeah. swaying back and forth, like just like crossing into the other lane and then coming back. Um, but uh, uh, eventually, um, oh, that's the thing as well, isn't it? Because she pack the scissors into a backpack uh, or, or a handbag um, at some point earlier in the film it was check off scissors yeah. um, and so the driver's there having the wheel yanked away from her and she just sort of figures out I've got 
I'm going to reach into my handbag. And so she reaches for it, gets out a pair of scissors, and they go straight into the the the, the other lady's uh, chest, like, sort of, bam. And there's a moment of, like, there's a beat, isn't there, of, like, sort of silence where, like, they sort of, re- like, she realises, oh, shit, I've stabbed someone, and, she, and the other one realises, oh, shit, I've been stabbed. But then it just starts off again. It just carries on. It's like, <laughs> and and, and they're still just driving yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. time. They're still just like tearing down the it highway. Goes like, it just goes on and on and on until eventually the car crashes and that sort of sends the, the lady with the scissors in her chest lurching forward. I'm sure she stabs her like several times. I, I, feel, I, I, I thought it was like a single sort of no, there's, there's a couple of stabs, I think. Right. I think she stabs her once and then she stabs her again and it goes the whole way through her. Because everyone like, in the audience was the, like, the scissors, the scissors go all the way through her when oh, the car when crashes because she hits the, the dashboard and then the scissors like pushed further and apparently that is like the we're, the death blow kind of thing. We're going deep on a movie that literally no one will ever see because this film will not see a delight of death. It like, has China. no real merit either. Like we just like... I, I, there were certain things in the, in the edit that I quite, was quite enjoying. Like it, it would like give you uh, like half of a scene and then like go to something else but yeah. in this, with this kind of relentless pace that was its like... problem though because I didn't get to I didn't feel like it stuck with the characters at all no. like, they were all just like absolute shells of people it, that, it was at its best when it was doing that to like um, inform your like perspective excuse me your perspective on like yeah. the city where it would show like you know some workmen and then it would show a news reporter like rustling through the streets and like then it, yeah, it would yeah. keep cutting around and you get a real sense of like life in this city but then when it actually focused on any characters at all or any storyline yeah. it was just so convoluted and, and I think what makes that sort of like not work as well is that they seem to have like an elementary school understanding of how politics and business yeah, and definitely. like public administration and police, uh, police procedure work because it's like you know you say it goes all the way to the top but it's just like oh here's a corrupt business one corrupt business it doesn't take a larger like view of it yeah yeah because it because it could never suggest that like the entire Chinese government is corrupt yeah either. exactly because as, as we know we saw the seal of approval at the, at the start yeah, of the screen everyone applauded it yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I mean it's interesting you, you kind of wonder like how certain films like mm-hmm. actually get um get kind of chosen by the fest by, by Berlin yeah, what, yeah. what is the criteria obviously there's there's all the different strands um similar to most festivals I guess there's a kind of more experimental one there's a competition there's a lot of big movies yeah, 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 um, yeah. I mean there's been stuff like mid 90s by Jonah Hill yeah. and Vice it's like a panorama in mid 90s I think well the thing is they're not they're not the festival if you know what I mean no, I feel no, like no. That's, they're just that was like the first film that we all saw together and it was it was, it was a it, fun time we had a fun time and then uh, yeah, it's sort of disappeared from my memory the further along the festival I've got. Yeah. I don't know if that's a festival thing, but there's certain films I've seen like on the same day that continue to stick out and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I think... And it does feel like, because it's like it premiered at, uh, at Toronto like so long ago and that kind of thing, that it is sort of like not really part of the Berlin conversation anymore. Yeah, so, you're yeah. like, what? yeah, what, what, what is it adding by being here? Just yeah, a little yeah. bit of star power, I guess. Just like a chance for people to see Jonah Hill's film if they haven't got around to it at a different festival yet, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's just before releasing, like, the like European release. I as think well, that's so. what I'm saying. I feel like this, it was put here more as like um, just part of the uh, the like, press tour of yeah, the yeah, film. Yeah. It was just like, oh, we can go to Berlin, and I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, yeah, there, there's been like, it's I guess because it's such a broad festival, like it has to have yeah, a bit yeah, of both. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it just didn't. It doesn't excite me that much. Um, so, what did excite both of us? I think to varying degrees is uh, Joanna Hogg's film, um, yeah. the the uh, souvenir, mm. which 
also is not premiered here. It's premiered at Sundance, but it's still very early on its journey. Yeah, it's still writing it. It was still riding sort of like the the crest of that wave, wasn't it, when it got here? And it's it's only been a few weeks. It's already kind of one of the first big darlings of 2019, I'd say. I reckon it's going to be a big BAFTA film next year. Yeah. Um, Although it could prove too much. Do you think? I, I, I don't know. So, so this is um, Joanna Hogg's um, like sort of cine memoir. It's her like re- reminiscence of um, growing up, um, of, of being at university and being in an incredibly toxic and codependent relationship yeah. with a drug user. Um, and the, the, this couple are played by um, Honor Swinton Byrne, who's Tilda Swinton's Tilda daughter. daughter. Who's and not, and amazing. not David Byrne's daughter. <laughs> I, I had no idea yeah. it, was, uh, it was her daughter. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, who's, the, who's the guy the in Tom it? Tom Burke, who is, uh, what's it, he's Coroman striking those J.K. Rowling adaptations right. from, uh, from when, when she does like the, the gruff detective stuff as, a, as Robert Galbraith. He's, he's, um, he's really he fantastic is, in this film. The character is, and obviously, like, we, 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 we come at this from like not completely different but like slightly different angles I think yeah um, and I, I myself I sort of like I think Tom Burke is incredible in it and there are some like fantastic beats like um, like you've got some writing about like his withdrawal towards the back end of the film yeah. and that kind of thing which are really sort of striking and very sort of um, very raw and that kind of thing but like the character is purpose and I, I like to think purposefully written to be odious and unsympathetic for oh, the most part oh, so and he awesome. he carries that so well I mean just look at his bow ties his bow ties he has the most garish like, I, I, I just think of like the what's it like the military cassock he's got as well when he's waiting for her in the bedroom yeah and he hands her like the Parisian <laughs> lingerie he was wearing that like yeah yeah, yeah that's his that's his frigging dressing gown yeah, yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. of an actual dressing gown <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, they're just all those things that sort of say like this is a guy who comes from money and thinks a lot of himself and thinks a lot less of you when he comes across yes. you and that kind of thing, um, which then makes like the really sort of tragic stuff that he goes through later on sort of really interesting to uh, to sort of pick apart because it is like you're watching someone that you probably don't have that much sympathy for you I think it's easier to sympathise with Julie who is on a Swinton Burns character yeah even though she is totally she's frustrating she's so frustrating but I think that's what makes this movie like so real so completely unflinching in how it depicts these things It's, it's using this kind of Ozu uh, camera work where everything's in you know it's, it's very much about the space of the apartment and, uh, yeah, and you, you yeah. feel the sort of air in the that room lovely apartment in Nicebridge yeah. yeah exactly but it kind of turns it into this like horrible tomb doesn't it it's yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's it's really special um, uh, and her character is, is very complicated she's mm. you kind of see her I think the film manages to articulate like these kind of changes in a person, not in a character arc sense, but in no. a very real kind of way where, you know, you slowly see her not listening to punk music and listening to opera and like yeah, yeah, her yeah. clothes and her way of holding herself just very slowly like changes. Yeah, because that, that is interesting as well, because I think, I, think I, I touched on this when I did a bit of writing about it as well. It's like initially before like their relationship becomes overtly romantic, he seems almost like because she is also sort of from money and her parents. Yeah. half of whom are played by Tilda Swinton, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, they're, they're sort of moneyed and privileged, and the whole film is sort of confronting like privilege and entitlement in a really sort of intelligent way. Um, very well thought out and very self-aware of like Joanna Hogg and the position she's coming at it from. Mm-hmm. But um, initially when she start, sort of starts seeing Anthony, who is Tom Burke's uh, character, it's almost like she has all these sort of like more bohemian friends these artistic friends and she'll like hang out in like stonewashed denim and uh, and listen to like the psychedelic furs and madness and stuff like that yeah. um and then she will go off on like dates with this guy 
and dress a little bit fancier and they'll yeah. go to like the Wallace collection like, like play it being and like it's, all, this... it's almost like she is like expunging that through him so that then she can go back and be the film yeah. student with, with like her cool friends and eventually she sort of like that bleeds into her actual life and she becomes more of the person she feels like she's venting to get out of her system yeah um, well she kind of realises like the kind of addiction of like privilege yeah. and like luxury and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. you know all the, all the like mad clothes that they get like tailor made for her and mm-hmm. stuff and it's all to like put on this pose of living a certain kind of life that yeah. like is pre-80s it's like mm-hmm. you know a, I don't know Edwardian kind of life yeah exactly because like because at first like you watch it and you sort of uh it is so authentically 80s initially and like it's it is, very yeah. it's very sort of like grounded in that sense of like that place and time of like London in the sort of like early to mid 80s um, and it's interesting because I remember like because the first scene is a house party I think like she has yeah. a few people around for drinks uh, and you're seeing sort of everyone and they all blend in it's got a little cameo from uh, Tozin Cole who's one of the new um, assistants in Doctor Who which was quite fun <laughs> um, but um uh, and, and sort of like everything feels very authentic and like in like in the right place at the right time, except for Anthony who shows up and looks and sounds ridiculous when he's like put up against like these sort of like you got like these London wide boys that she's mates with and stuff like that, and then he yeah. just turns up being incredibly sort of articulate and pompous yes. and yeah. He makes Reynolds Woodcock. Seem like... <laughs> I would love to see a weird like spin off of him and him Reynolds Wood- Reynolds. He honestly makes Reynolds Woodcock look like uh, Indiana Jones or something. <laughs> uh, I think this movie is going to get compared to Phantom Fred. Um, oh yeah. But I, I feel like they've got very different aims. Oh they do. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, I, you know the Paul Thomas Anderson film is like this it's brilliant but it's this kind of like fantasy movie almost and it's a comedy as well it's a comedy exactly yeah. this this is like has very funny and like moving and real dialogue but it's uh, it's doing something else and it's also part one it's really weird because you know we've, we've had a lot of conversations about it and people feel unsatisfied by it and yeah. I'm like well this is actually like it, it, like, it, it cuts to black and then the next frame is like basically James Bond will return yeah. old finger isn't it yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, it just like tells you like part two's coming so and, they're filming and, it this how, year are they filming it this year do you know I think so, yeah. so I, I can't remember who it was but someone suggested that there's someone quite famous who's going to be in it as well like they've got a a new person being introduced well Tom Hiddleston's been in all of the previous um, Joanna Hogg films I so I wouldn't be surprised if Right. Uh, but it's some way I think it's someone in that wheelhouse like a very sort of like another another posh sort of eating right. sort of coming on in like from the Cambridge footlights or whatever I mean it really I, I don't know it just I found it terrific uh, yeah. but I, I, I think there's knowing that there's this whole other half of the story to come yeah I think uh, it makes me really excited I'd be interested to see where it goes because like as an arc it is almost like I feel like it is a complete arc but it also feels like a very particular stage in this woman's life exactly so it's like if it, if they if she hadn't have done part two I feel like it would have ended and people have just accepted like oh this ending is just slightly dissatisfying well I just but, keep getting haunted by that you know that very last shot does she, uh, I does won't she, spoil it but like yeah 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 it's um I, I think that is like right now let's <clears throat> yeah, it's, yeah it's the end of one thing and it's, like, it's like else. a mission statement for the next <clears throat> thing. almost yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. Um, so that's really good that, that'll that be uh, out in the UK uh, it's, it's going to be A24 in the States it at is least. yeah I think uh, it's like just BBC, BBC films film, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a Curzon thing I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll it, it's, it's guaranteed to show up like, yeah yeah this yeah, is yeah. yeah I mean I, I, I'm a bit more sceptical about this kind of BAFTA prospects because I think I just think people don't like uh, drug drug addiction drugs. Maybe, but I feel like it's got sort of the prestige of having like Joanna Hogg and uh, yeah. obviously Tilda Swinton's giving it her backing by having like a little cameo as, as the mom mm-hmm. and doing a very good job as well. I feel like she could like 
be sort of do they, do they do they have like an arbitrary like you have to be in it for a certain amount of time or like to be supporting to be supporting no yeah. no because uh, I feel like, like one scene and got it yeah I feel like she has the prospect of that I think because there's, yeah. there's some touches towards the end that are very good she is very and, good like her connection like as much as like there's a whole other conversation to have about the nepotism of like Tilda Swinton's daughter getting a, a lead, one of the, this fantastic lead role on <laughs> yeah. a second ever go in front of a camera and her first go in front of a camera was what I am love so it was another Tilda Swinton film yeah um, and so there's a whole other like a whole other but she is very that. good and it? she is very good she is. there's no denying and I think it does add to sort of the connection because, because Tilda Swinton's um time in the film is quite scant and she only pops up every now and then yeah. um, there's this whole unspoken bond that like they wouldn't have had to like workshop or anything like because it, they are literally a mother and daughter yes. um, and you can sort of feel that almost like genetic like mm-hmm. um, like instinctive connection between, in like the way their performances like interact with each other and that kind of thing yeah um, yeah it's a film there's going to be a lot more conversations about so it's really so. exciting to yeah. get, like a first look here here with Carmen hi I am a features editor at one room with a view and I also write for the skinny and screen queens and uh, we we've both seen uh, the plagiarist which is uh, Peter Parlow's uh, feature debut um, and we, we seem to have had some pretty uh, differing reactions you're giving me a look right now <laughs> yeah yeah um, that was my only one star film of this festival so far and I hopefully won't have another <laughs> right, so um, so this is a sort of um, I, guess, I guess it's in a sort of mumblecore mode. Uh, it's a yeah. seventy-minute um, comedy, kind of pretentious comedy about uh, a couple whose car breaks down and they uh, end up spending the night uh, at a sort of mysterious black guy's house. Uh, he's he's um, middle of nowhere. Yeah, and. Um, they have this sort of strange experience where he's incredibly generous, um, starts giving the, the guy loads of like equipment and free stuff, and then he gives uh, gives the lady who's an aspiring novelist this sort of remarkable speech about life and nature, um, which she then months later discovers is uh, word for word like a passage from a Karlov Nausgaard book, um, which throws the couple into this sort of existential uh, despair um, and. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I I, I, th- I thought this was I'm a lot so of fun. Glad you did. <laughs> I, um, so when it started out, I had not high hopes, but I was hoping that it would be entertaining. But I just the characters became very grating throughout, and there were some kind of silly elements in the beginning, like that bottle of wine being called Menage a Trois, which was really funny. And then I was hoping they'd kind of lean into the humor and absurdity, but they just kind of got wrapped up in themselves and I didn't think the film was smart enough to pull off that smart or self-aware enough to pull off what they were trying to do right yeah I think it, these characters are like they're, they're super self-absorbed they're your classic sort of neurotic oh, yeah. uh, like American comedy characters um, but for me it was like that, that was kind of the point was they were getting like wrapped up in themselves so much that this kind of innocuous event actually kind of became this mad moment for them that was going to throw everything yeah. in turmoil 
No, I, I can definitely see that. I think they just didn't set up the characters well enough for me to care enough about them. So when they started getting annoying and obnoxious, <laughs> instead of seeing kind of where they're coming from, I was just like, oh my God, shut up. Especially the husband. Yeah, he's really grating. I, yeah. I kind of thought it was a great performance because he's so difficult to watch. Oh gosh, He's yeah. relentless in his kind of But I'm horror. thinking about like girls and other kind of TV shows which have mm-hmm. really capitalised on that unlikable protagonist, kind of train wreck of a human, super self-absorbed. And I feel like maybe it was just a soap opera styling of the plagiarist. The, okay. um, the stock music and camera just kind of wandering around like it does on the average soap um, I, did, I don't know it didn't involve me all that much right I, I, I kind of felt like a lot of that style though was was part of this point about like plagiarism and art repeating itself and, and film kind of borrowing from literature or the relationship between literature and film and that yeah, kind of what was the, that epilogue uh, yeah yeah so without <laughs> spoiling too much I mean I don't know what sort of release this will end up getting it's it's pretty short it's definitely a festival film yeah um, and I think that's part of why I liked it is because it's just it's really light and breezy and it's like it's so quick that it it's different to a lot of other festival fare I think but um yeah sorry so so this epilogue <laughs> is a letter read by uh, uh, another character um well it's kind of unclear who the author of the letter actually is I felt I, I kind of one started okay. to wonder like who'd um, oh, I was not wondering at that point. Right. I was like, oh my god, let yeah. this be over. <laughs> and, and it's over this kind of stock footage bit uh, that's implied is like being filmed by the husband. But again, it's kind of unclear. Um, I think by that point, I was really kind of invested in um, in this. You know, I, I was looking at the film less as as an exploration of these characters than just as kind of an essay on plagiarism. Um, and you know, the, at the end, it's got this massive list of citations. So. I guess like a lot of the yeah. dialogue was like from other articles. That's what I mean. That is a, a kind of interesting element of it, and perhaps it did that well, but just irritated me so much in the process <laughs> that I could not get on board with it at all. I think um, one thing that really threw me off was the wife's reaction to finding out that their um, the man who they'd stayed with like six months ago had plagiarized this whole passage and obviously that's a really kind of odd thing to do to go on this huge speech and not give any citation or not you know just who who kind of does that (laughs) yeah Um, who learns like a huge block of text yeah who doesn't say oh it's not mine at the end but um i think her reaction was so big (laughs) <laughs> and I, that kind of pushed it into oh, I can't believe anything right now. Maybe it was maybe it worked for you, but yeah, I felt like it wasn't. No, I found that reaction judged. so funny. I was really <laughs> well. I, I don't know. I thought it was a really novel conceit for a movie, and just the I don't know. I, I was just like, imagine if that actually happened to you. If so, if if yeah. someone had really moved you with some like moment, you were like, this has actually kind of driven me to because she ends up reading that book. I think in part because of the conversation that they'd had and stuff. Yeah. And so, and that was having a huge effect on her. She's like three books into this huge saga of the Nausgaard books that are all like a thousand pages each or whatever. So she's obviously like going down a path and then to kind of find out that that is a lie, it kind of questions the authenticity of like, why, why do we like invest in cinema and or books? And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm liking it more as I talk okay. about it. Like, I'm so glad. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to change my, my mind on that one, but you know, you have to see it for yourself when it comes out. So. And uh, if it comes out in the UK or yeah, ever, yeah. I feel like that might, it might be like a Vimeo or movie kind Maybe. of thing. Yeah. yeah, hard to judge. But um, <laughs> all right, so um, another film that we saw, we both seen is uh, Bait, Mark Jenkins, um, Cornish set, like fishing epic, I guess you could call it. 
Yeah. What did you think of that? I loved it. I thought it was very well shot. It was very suspenseful. It was the cuts weren't entirely sequential and they were fast, and they moved between characters when each one was speaking, and it really created this tense atmosphere that was still very easy to follow despite the rapid and unsequential cuts. Yeah. It was. Yeah, it felt kind of like a thriller, but it was very everyday setting, just Cornish village dealing with gentrification. And yes, you did hate everyone with a posh accent in that film. <laughs> it did, does really well. Uh, yeah. uh, bringing you into the whole world, really. Like, it really does. Know, the first five minutes is this just barrage of images, these rapid cuts, like you're saying, and, and it's difficult at first, and then after a while, your eyes and you've kind of settled into the rhythm of it, and it really starts to play with that as well, yeah. doesn't it? And kind of push you, pull you around. And I've not really seen another film like it not modern film at least like no definitely not I but like, it's dealing with such modern themes as well yeah. you know it's very rooted it. in its like current time and place mm-hmm. but at the same time the kind of rage in it is universal yeah yeah it, it, it i think it goes to lengths to make it a kind of mythic or like timeless sort yeah. of tale I mean, the cornish coast is a good place for that yeah <laughs> yeah right um so we didn't disagree on all of the films ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, there's been a lot of good stuff. Pretty much just watch it when it comes out. Yeah. As an independent UK film, I feel a bit better that this is going to get a release in the UK yeah. than The Plagiarist well. It's, this is getting a really good response from people. I think everyone's yeah. like excited to see it if they haven't already. I've not really spoken to anyone that wasn't like super invested in it. It's got this amazing sense of dread that, like as you're saying, it kind of comes all the way through. Um, I, yeah, I think this is going to be... It's a tight, what, 90-minute film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we like a shorter... Oh, we do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're watching, like, several a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, did, was uh, your favourite pick of the festival also a really short film? So, my favourite pick of the festival so far is A Tale of Three Sisters, which was a Turkish film in competition. I believe that clocked in around the hour 40 mark. Okay, that's So, that's it's easy. not yeah. too bad, but it wasn't quite as short as or the plagiarist was but it's a lovely like character driven drama comedy set in rural Turkey where three sisters have all returned home to their father after various housekeeping jobs have fallen through and their father's jo- is tra- trying to get them back out of the house back working and the sisters all kind of have their reasons for either not wanting to or wanting to go back to a place that doesn't want them and they're the banter is great. They obviously get on each other's nerves all the time, but they love each other. And it's just, it's genuinely funny, but also really moving. And if I get a UK release, I would highly recommend checking that one out. I loved Bay because, yeah, I went to see it on a... So I'd been initially encouraged by a girl back at my real job who works on reception who was like, oh, I have a friend who sort of, have you heard of this film? I was like, I had no idea. And it's one of what, like... Maybe... I saw the word bait on the uh, <laughs> program was like, it's bait. <laughs> it's bait. It's bait. I have it's to bait. see this. What's it like? What's it? Tom Hardy in, uh, <laughs> in Mad Max Fury. like, that's bait. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, what's it? Yeah, I, I might I might steal that at some point, to be fair. Uh, but it was like, I was initially sort of interested, but I didn't think I had space in my schedule for it. But then you and Carmen who you're also talking to on this podcast um, did you guys see it together and then you yeah, both we came did, out yeah. of it um, and I think it was over beers at our hostel you were just like go see bait go see bait go see bait and oh, it's really was like a it's, proper gut punch. it's between that and so long my son for you isn't it for top of the festival I think so I mean I love the souvenir as well but that yeah yeah it, yeah bait is like mm. As, a, as just as a British film, I think it really yeah, and it's it's got such like a, a clear sense of style and that kind of thing, and it's so sort of assured in being this weird like sixteen millimeter black and white like it basically feels almost like uh, like stock footage a lot of the time. It does, yeah, yeah. Um, and because it's like it's so old fashioned the way it's put together, but it's so sort of modern and prescient in the in the themes it's discussing in, in like 
people are pegging it as a Brexit film, and it certainly does like, have an element of it, and it definitely helps that like he threw in like a little radio bulletin where they're discussing like uh, chlorinated chicken or something like that. Yeah, um, which is just on in the background as like the the, the middle class family in it are just like swanning about like prepping their Airbnb for guests <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but um, but it is it does just speak to sort of like a wider thing that is very much the kind of shit that I go in for in these things. It's like regional identity and like, because you get so many, like the, the world's impression of British films is always quite London set or like very uh, like period drama centric and that kind of thing. And this is like so specifically about living in Cornwall, living in a fishing village yeah. and like having, you know, like uh, middle-class and affluent tourists, like movie encroaching on your space. And, and it's sort of like, and genuinely believe that they are part of that. Community yeah. 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 Well. We are part of the community. We are part of the community. <laughs> so, like he says it like every single time. I'm like what's it the main character like goes to confront him doesn't yeah. he yeah but yeah um I, I i was i was definitely impressed with with bay and i'm very glad that i took yours yours and karma's recommendations to go check it out i think it'll, it'll do well in the uk as well i think like on a i a, think so at yeah. least on like a, on the art house circuit, it'll be definitely. small but it'll be solid i think it'll be I think small, small significant maybe a few like technical characters categories or something when it comes to like awards season we'll see yeah I mean uh, the, I'm sure Mark Jenkins will like do a tour with it and like, yeah, get yeah. a lot of eyes on it so that should be good yeah. hopefully that'll be like a London Film Festival appearance I'd have thought oh, I think, unless I it's out like, before then yeah unless it's released before I think it's more or less guaranteed for LFM yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what other ones are there to talk about what else have we seen what else have we seen because it, it feels like I've seen so much of you but we didn't actually see that many films yeah, together yeah maybe not yeah um Oh, we we've both seen the uh, the Agnes Varda yeah. uh, Swan yeah. song. She said now this is her last one, which she did say ten years ago. But, but yeah, she said it for Beaches of Agnes, didn't yeah, she? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now she is ninety. So this is another. Um, and actually, she was eighty then, so it was. Still <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's she's amazing. She's an amazing person. Um, it was definitely more of a keynote speech than a film. It is. So it's her kind of like talking about her life and her films and yeah. like her technique and yeah. uh, what kind of drives her with certain projects. It's. Um, I, I found it quite slight, but I enjoy, you know, yeah. Agnes Varda. She's so charismatic, it, and like I love watching the bits from her movies again. So yeah, and it was it was fun, sort of like having the ones that like uh, the ones that you have seen, and sort of like seeing sort of her her take on those things. Like I, before I came, like knowing that we were going to watch it, I got myself finally round to like La Point Core and uh, La Bonne and then some of like the uh, the earlier ones and that kind of thing because um, like, to be fair I've only come round to Agnes in the past like year or so uh, like I started off with uh, with Faces Places with JR when that came out and have, which is kind of a good starting yeah, point for her I think, I think I've seen a couple of her documentaries when they did the season on movie as well okay. like the really sort of like abstract ones where uh, the, I, I did see the, the one that they talk about in the film where it's like all on her street like her home street oh, okay, where it's yeah. like she's in the butcher shops and like the, the patisseries and stuff like that and that is that was really good but very sort of separate to like her her fictional oeuvre yeah. I think I mean I love the gleaners that's, that's the gleaners and I is my favourite one it's yeah, yeah. so it's this kind of realisation she has that like um that she's a gleaner herself yeah. and like that that's what ah. filmmaking is that, that one comes up in the in this film as well yeah, yeah. and I think this is, this is what it was good for it's like because I think a lot of sort of younger film nerds at the minute are getting into Varda yeah. as a director and even just like getting into her as a personality and like there were, it was like say we, we sat down with a couple of you where we were like are you excited like yeah I love Agnes but I've never seen any of her films yeah they just um, and I think it's it is actually quite a good sort of jumping off point to sort of um yeah, it does. So sort of like it gives you like a checklist of. I think that's part of why she's made it. Not that she needs to like secure her legacy, but like it's another way of like just helping people like 
Yeah. People who will have seen Faces Places and like and don't know where to start with this like vast like yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, sort of filmography as well. Yeah, mm. um, and I think like a really good place to go with that is like uh, the uh, the Curzon box set is a fantastic little like it's not complete by any means, but it's like a really good sort of retrospective that spans like from '55 with their debut all the way to Beaches of Agnes. I think is the most right. recent one in that set. Um, and so, and yeah, it's just given me like a whole new sort of like watch list and a new way, like new perspectives on the ones I have seen as well. I feel like we've been name dropping the Curzon a lot. We're, we're yeah, like, we've been like there. everything. Yeah. We're like, well, that should appear on Curzon. Like, well, it's like they, they are. They, this is their raison d'etre now, isn't it? Like, yeah, they're, just... yeah they're, they're good boys. They're, like, we know we know what they're going to snap up. Yeah. Like, it's between them and Picture House distributing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Movie, movie kind of get get a look in on yeah, some stuff. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. So so uh, Agnes Paul. Vada Paul Agnes is um, it's, it's a soft recommend for me it's yeah. like I don't think that people who are, who are familiar with my work are going to get much out of it no um, I uh, but it's, it's I, will, I will admit to drifting off the odd time as well Not it's that kind of movie we, we were we were in the middle we were in the thick of the festival at that point I had like a five film day ahead of me and it's it's, it's a very sort of like comforting no shame watch. there's no yeah, shame yeah. Yeah. um, um yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to give a little shout out to some of the like classics and retrospective stuff. That You've I've been a nut on that, yeah. I have. Um, yeah, so uh, there's there's a classics section that's a lot of uh, like restored, newly restored movies. Like they've done it all debt again, so that was great in like a 4K print. I'd never seen that before. The uh, Carl Dreyer's movie, yeah. which is like the closest that like an atheist <laughs> like me is going to come to like believing that some yeah, to, yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's it's, it's amazing and really. You can see how for, uh, Paul Schrader was influenced by it with First Reformed as so well, if, you, if you're into that. Um, I also saw Ung Flucht, uh, The Wayward Girl, which is Liv Ullman's uh, first uh, first leading role. And it's like, um, they use her as this kind of like Bridget Bardot-esque like uh-huh. bombshell, which is was an interesting way to look at her because I've only I've only seen her in like Ingmar Bergman films where she's like being very serious and like right. and, and sensual but not like sexy in that kind of yeah, yeah, in that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, free sixties uh, work yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um and that that, that is actually a really good uh, sort of three handed drama mm. it's kind of playing with like lovers on the run themes yeah. uh, this couple that like just try and escape from society and end up in some weird situations um and uh, another really good one I saw was uh, Destry Rides Again which is a Marlena Dietrich and uh, Jimmy Stewart one that's been restored in 4K I think this is like fairly little scene it's a like comedy western interesting um, Dietrich and Stewart it's like... the one film they played they were in together she oh. plays like Whore with a Heart of Gold she's like obviously classic in it yeah. and Jimmy Stewart's like this pacifist that's like <laughs> I'm going to clean up the town without using any guns oh, okay I can cool. use my my sense of talking <laughs> that, my, that was more a Kevin Spacey House of Cards that was thing. almost to do one of those yeah. wasn't it yeah oh, oh how's he talking <laughs> I'm gonna clean up this town. No, I, I, no, I know what you're going do you, for. Yeah. You know, do, you, yeah. do you ever like? Do you ever see like um, David Lynch, like especially young David Lynch, as like Jimmy Stewart gone wrong? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got the same vibe, like, oh. and it's like I couldn't. I, I remember watching It's a Wonderful Life for the first time with my parents. You're like, ah, oh, David Lynch. And it was like, yeah, I just got into Twin Peaks as well, and I was just like, why is like, what, who does he remind me? of? I was like, oh my god, he reminds me of uh, fucking Gordon Cole. Gordon Cole. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> oh, Paul. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear you there. What, say that again. Oh, there. I got it now. <laughs> you got it. You, did, you, you found it. Yeah. And now, and now found it. It's going to stay that way with wind changes as well. You'll be yeah, talking yeah, like Jimmy yeah. Stewart for the rest of your yeah. life. That, that's okay. Um, 
yeah so so there's been some some really good uh, yeah. stuff in that and and there's also been this uh, uh charlotte rampling retrospective mm. yes um that's not none of that's been restored i don't think it's just been like some going through not it even that old like 45 years came out a couple of yeah years ago. but i think that's it. well she won the, the acting she award did. here yeah. for, for that uh, and she's great in that movie mm. but i got the chance to see the damned by uh, visconti which, which I've never <laughs> on on your birthday on my birthday yeah this like three hour like fucking uh, movie about like <laughs> Nazis fighting over the the uh, industry in in Germany at the start of uh, well uh, this, the birth of Nazism it's got some incredible sequences there's this kind of um, uh, Nazi gay orgy scene Amazing. that goes really extended I think put a lot of people off of the Right. There were people walking out, even in this one. Yeah, this movie's 50 years old. In, just, in 2019, people yeah. are still like a bit outraged. But yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing scene. You know, the, the, all the Nazis are like in their fishnets and, mm-hmm. and they're all singing like Nazi songs with the flags in the background. It's like such a fucking so powerful. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, when you see the like, fucking Gaspar Noe and shit, <laughs> all, this, all this stuff that's like trying so hard to like upset yeah, you yeah, now yeah. and you're like well this was doing it with this real like act, you know sense of artistry and like actually make like getting deep into like nazi history and oh. like and, and filmic history and stuff it's got it's doing all this like fritz lang stuff yeah, and, yeah, yeah. as well like like it's not provocation just for its own sake like there, it has yeah. something to say as opposed to just something that's just like nihilism because nihilism mm. which i feel like so many so many filmmakers think that that's just like a really cool thing to do. It's just like yeah. these these characters in these situations are fucked up because I can I, I can like I yeah. can direct this film and and, and traumatize you as much as I like. I don't, I don't think this is even nihilism. I think it's yeah. like it's it's showing a lot of horrible things. Um, there's a lot of heroin use. There's this uh, one. Of the, the main character is a paedophile, right. um, and it's it's about his kind of corruption. Yeah, being this like Weimar guy right. into slowly becoming like uber nazi right and i just found i, I thought it was amazing um yeah uh, so that was that was a real treat <laughs> a, real, seeing, seeing a real birthday a treat real birthday the treat three hour nazi snm movie i was, I was in my element <laughs> <Wisconsin>. yeah <laughs> uh yeah it was great so i just wanted to give a little shout out to them because yeah, yeah, yeah. they've been great and there's been some others as well um have you got any last uh ones that you want to uh share? there's been quite a, a few good ones like uh we we have been spending a lot of our time with like some some lgbt lady friends like over the and they fucking humble, loved, brag. humble brag yeah look, look at us like uh fighting the fight we're doing really well there um, <laughs> by having friends by having great. friends um but they and us to be fair we're, we're like quite taken with uh, uh elisa and marcella i know it's not like massive oh yeah you got it, is a, it is a, it is a it is a really great film and i'm really excited to see some like some female centric criticism on it and that kind of thing and people like really engaging and with it how are people going to react to the octopus scene oh i think it's going to be uh the, it's going to be the disobedient spit scene of 2019 <laughs> and it's hitting netflix so it's going to go wide and it's going to go mad i reckon as wide uh, as an octopus as wide as an octopus maybe yeah um but uh one that i really loved that i feel i think you may be checking out after we finish recording like later today is a film called Angel Bird Can Sing which is a Japanese film um, about the it's sort of like a love triangle between these three slacker types uh, that are just like spending this like hot baking summer that will never end just kind of hanging out and it's what's so sort of remarkable about it is how sort of progressive and modern it is in the way that it sort of looks at how young people interact and how sex and love and friendship all sort of overlap and either and, and they kind of like 
uh, they sort of add extra dimensions to each other. And so it's this love triangle with no sense of tension or jealousy or anything like that. Like there's a whole scene where the two guys who are roommates are sort of talking about the girl that one of them's dating and the other one's pining after. And, uh, and the guy who's dating is just like, oh, so you fancy, um, I can't remember the characters' names, but uh, she's like, oh, so you fancy her. And he just goes, yeah, I do. And he just goes, oh, cool. And then they just go and get, go and grab a beer from like the, <laughs> the off license and just like sit in a park being yeah. like uh, stone. It sounds like Terrace House or something. It's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it very, it very much like uh, the first line is that the narrator going like, it feels like the summer will never end. And you're just like, oh, fucking hell, what a cliche. Yeah. But then it literally does feel like that summer will never end. It's, uh, it's incredible how much it like evokes that that feeling of crack, uh, cracking tinnies open with your mates and that kind of thing and, and dancing till like 5am and walking home in the daylight and uh, yeah it, it was just quite sort of like a blissful little mood piece that I would I would heartily recommend nice. yeah um, well yeah thanks for coming on thanks you know uh, absolute pleasure Benjamin and uh, I judge Berlin Ola to be festival <laughs> yeah yeah we've had a good week it's, yeah it is yeah it's good it's yeah it's, it's great. Uh, I'm training off now. It's great. It's go 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 to Berlin, Arlo. It's, it's cool. Um, yeah. yeah. See you in court. See you next year. <laughs>